Okay, I'm curious. I have a question for you. I'd like you to respond to the question. You can just kind of raise your hand. Here's my first question. How many of you are runners? How many of you are runners? If you're a runner, raise your hand. Okay, there are a few runners. I want to let you know I have my raised hand just to, my hand raised just to encourage you. I'm not a runner. Uh, not very good at it. That's probably why I don't run. It ends up hurting my knees and my back. Uh, so I don't run. I haven't reached that point where you get the endorphins that click in. That's what all you runners say. Like, I know endorphins kick in, so I keep running. I've never gotten to that point. Uh, so I don't run. Next question. Now, this may affect me for those of you who are runners, but it may lead to an affirmative response for others of you because in your past, you may have ran a race. So how many of you have ever, ever run a race? Okay, yeah, a lot more of us have run a race. Maybe it was field day back in elementary school and you ran that race and you got that participation ribbon. But many of us have run a race. I've been watching the Olympics, uh, the Olympic trials recently and the track and the field trials have been on. And although I'm not a runner, I do appreciate people who run. I appreciate their talent, their gifts. And I've watched these runners run. And you can see, if you're a runner, you know this. If you've been in a race, you know this. Running a race requires focus. It requires effort. It requires perseverance. You want to focus, you want to give your all, and you want to persevere. You certainly don't want to quit the race. You want to keep going till the race is completed. Hopefully, you end up winning the race. You get more than the participation ribbon, but you need to run a race. You need focus, you need effort, and you need perseverance. You got to keep going. This morning, the Apostle Paul compares living the Christian life to running a race. Paul says that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to run this race that's set before us and to run any race, and particularly the race towards Jesus Christ, living the Christian life, it requires focus, it requires effort, and it requires perseverance. Well, there's different kinds of races, right? You could be a sprinter. You could run the 100. You could run the 200. Or maybe you're more of a long distance runner. You're a 5,000 meter runner or you're a marathon runner. Well, running the Christian life is much more like a marathon than it is a sprint. It's often viewed as a long journey. It's not just a short run and we're concluded. It's, it's a long marathon and it's certainly not a walk in the park. It can be difficult at times to focus, to exert the effort, to persevere. But God calls each one of us as followers of Jesus to run this marathon of life. And in marathons, there are ups and there are downs. There are times when you just run and you can just flow during the marathon. And there are also times when you hit like that 21 mile mark where everything starts to, sh you feel like you cannot go on. See, running and following Jesus is much more like a marathon than it is a sprint. And for each one of us here this morning, we need to come to this text and recognize that all of us, whether you're a runner, whether you're a racer, whether you have never ran more than 100 yards, this morning, we are all long distance runners. In following Jesus, we are in the midst of a marathon. We are long distance runners. And this morning, Paul is going to encourage us 
to focus, to exert effort, and to persevere. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Philippians. This morning we're in Philippians chapter three. It's on page 952 in the Bible that the church provides. It's in a rack in front of you. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along. It will make all of this make much more sense to you. As you're turning, remember, we're in a study in the book of Philippians. We're seeing what God has to say to you and to me through this book of Philippians. And we have identified the theme of fighting for joy. God is encouraging you. He's encouraging me to fight for joy. And I hope that although we don't say it every week, I hope as we've come to these messages, you have been able to see a way in which God is calling you to fight for joy. And remember, we've defined joy. Joy is confidence, contentment, and hope. Confidence, contentment, and hope. And it's a bit of happiness thrown in. And that confidence, that contentment, that hope can only come through Jesus Christ. The world tries to offer us other alternatives, but those other alternatives always fall short because true joy is only found in knowing Jesus. That is how we experience joy. The text, beginning in verse 12. This morning, we're gonna be focusing on verses 12 through 21. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now to have these verses make sense, maybe make more sense to us this morning, we have to briefly review last week. Last week, Mark did a great job sharing Paul's magnificent vision of knowing Jesus. Paul made knowing Jesus the most important thing in his life because to Paul, nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So Paul encourages us to the same thing. He encourages us to know Jesus. Each one of us need to know Jesus. And it's possible 
That as we come to this text this morning, as we look back on the other things that Paul has shared with us along this journey through Philippians, as we look at the other letters that Paul has written that are in our Bible, we may think to ourselves, it's very possible that we could think to ourselves that Paul has really made it in the Christian life. That Paul has obtained all there is to obtain. That he has everything completely together. That Paul has arrived. But that's not the case. In these verses, Paul makes clear that he has not yet arrived. He is not yet all there is to be in Christ Jesus. There is more waiting for Paul. There is more for Paul to gain. There is more for Paul to achieve. He's not yet where he needs to be. Now, yes, Paul knew Jesus. At one point in his life, Paul received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He came to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul, at one point in his life, went from death to life, went from being blind to seeing. At one point in his life, Paul came to know Jesus. And in our church, in specifically and in general in the evangelical church, that's often the way that we think about Jesus. We came to know Jesus Christ at a past time in a past event. When I was six years old, in my bunk bed, I asked Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. Therefore, at that point in time, I came to know Jesus. Paul knew Jesus. I know Jesus. But Paul here is saying there's more. There's something much more about the Christian life. Yes, I came to know Jesus at a past point in time, but all of my life is about knowing Jesus. My goal, winning the prize, is to come to know Jesus completely. I did not come to know Jesus completely at that past point in time, but all of my life, my goal, I am running the race to win the prize, and the prize is completely knowing Jesus. And when you completely know Jesus, you are made perfect, and what Paul says is Jesus then transforms your body so that they will be like his glorious body. Coming to know Jesus is not singularly a point in time event in your past. Everything Paul, all of that rubbish, all of that garbage, everything he gave up was so that he could know Christ more and more and more until the day when his body will be gloriously transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And more Jesus means more joy. The more Jesus you have, the better you know Jesus, the more joy you will experience in this life. So do you want to know Jesus more? Do you want more contentment in your life? Let's try that again. Do you want more contentment in your life? 
Yes. Do you want more confidence in your life? Yes. Do you want more hope in your life? The only way you are going to get more confidence, more contentment, and more hope in your life is by knowing Jesus better. To know Jesus means that you will have joy. More Jesus equals more joy. So let me ask again, do you want to know Jesus? Yes. Not just the first time, but more and more and more Jesus. Because ultimately someday you are going to be made perfect and your body is going to be transformed into the glorious likeness of Jesus Christ. And this marathon that we run is about knowing Jesus more and more and more. And in our text this morning, Paul gives us four principles on how to know Jesus more, on how to win the prize that is set before us. Knowing Jesus. First principle. Recognize, recognize that you have not yet arrived. Recognize that you have not yet arrived. Look at uh, verse 12. Paul picks up right where he left off in verse 11. It's a continuation. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Notice in these verses, Paul makes it very, very clear in verse 12, in verse 13, I have not yet arrived. I have not yet taken a hold. I have not yet won the prize. Well, this is so interesting. I hope it's it's interesting to me. It's also encouraging when you think about this. Paul had been, at the time Paul writes the book of Philippians, he had been a Christian. He had been a follower of Jesus for at least 25 years. And Paul, of all people, likely one of the most outstanding believers of all time. An impeccable resume. His duty, the things that he has done for Jesus, unquestioned. This is Paul. If there is anyone who is at the top of the list of being a good, good, good Christian, it's Paul. But Paul says, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. I'm not where I need to be. And my friends, if Paul's not here yet, there's not one of us in this room that are not there yet. We need to recognize that we're not yet where God wants us to be. It's the first principle in knowing Jesus better. And I think there's, there's likely two different groups of people that are here in this room this morning. Now, I know you're following Jesus and you're running the race, but there's two different groups that I think this speaks, speaks clearly to. There's the first group, and this group is the group that came in this morning and you're feeling discouraged. And you look around and you look at all the smile on your faces and you think to yourself, man, these people got it all under control. And me, I just don't feel like I'm there yet. I'm discouraged. I keep going back to that same sin. I never seem to make the right choices. I keep keep seeming to make bad, wrong choices. And everybody else around me seems like they're in good shape. They're smiling, they're happy. Well, the message Paul has here is nobody's arrived yet. 
Yeah, there's people smiling, but they're facing the same struggles, the same difficulties, the same trials that you are. So if you came in this morning and you're feeling discouraged, it's okay. No one's arrived yet. Push forward. There's a second group of people, and those are the people that are here this morning. They feel like they've arrived. They feel like they have everything under control, that they are spiritually mature, that they're above the trials, the difficulties, the troubles of this life, and everything, they feel like they're just in great shape. You know what? There are some people that even feel that they don't sin anymore. That's wrong. And I'm here to tell you that if you're here this morning and you feel like you've arrived, if you think you have everything all together, you don't. And please stop being that annoying person. You see, if you've come and you're discouraged, Paul says, push forward. It's okay, nobody's arrived. And if you've come here this morning and you feel like you've arrived, Paul's saying to you, no, you haven't arrived. The first principle in knowing Jesus more and more is recognizing that none of us, not you, not me, we haven't yet arrived. Which leads to the second principle. The second principle is press on. If we haven't already arrived, we need to press on. We need to continue to move forward. Back to the text. Look at verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Notice two times in our text, first in verse 12, and then here in verse 14, Paul says, I press on. Literally, he says, I constantly press on. This is the athletic term. This is how we get the analogy to running the race. It is pressing on, moving forward, recognizing that I have not yet arrived, that I need to continually move forward. He is searching, he is reaching, he is moving towards his goal, towards his dream, towards winning the prize, and the prize is knowing Jesus. Let me illustrate this. When I was uh, in college, when I was in college between, I was in college with Jen, Jen's my wife. We dated while we were in college before we got married and between our junior and senior year, Jen during that summer went on a mission trip. She went on a 10 week mission trip to Europe, 10 weeks. That's a long time. Well, she's gone, we have very little opportunity to communicate. There were no virtual opportunities to communicate. We had no cell phones. We had no iPads. We had very few computers. And I'm realizing as I say this how very old this makes me seem. (laughs) But there was no kind of, there there was no FaceTime. There's no texting. We could call. We only called two or three times because calling was so expensive. So for 10 weeks, we had very, very little contact with each other. Well, she comes back and she flies into O'Hare, into Chicago's airport. She flies into O'Hare. After 10 weeks being apart, she comes and she returns to O'Hare. And now I could have, thinking upon it, I could have stayed in Grand Rapids. I could have stayed in Grand Rapids and waited for her to make her way to Grand Rapids. Do you think I did that? No, did not do that. 
I went and I drove to O'Hare Airport. But when I got to O'Hare Airport, think about this, I could have waited in the parking lot. I could have waited in the parking lot for her to get her bags and come out to the car and could have given her a hug and say, hey, great to have you back. Do you think I did that? No, did not do that either. Or I could have walked into the airport and I could have went by the baggage claim and stood by the baggage claims because clearly she's got to come to the baggage claim to pick up her bags. I could have went to the baggage claim and waited for her at the baggage claim. Do you think I did that? No, I did not do that either. You know where I was? I was the first person in line outside of that receiving gate from the airport. First person, and trust me, I had to push a lot of people aside to be that first person in that line. And I am waiting there, right there on the rope, waiting for those doors to flop open and Jen to walk through the door after 10 weeks in Europe. And guess what, I didn't even wait by the line. I jumped over that rope. Because <laughs> there was no TSA back then. I jump over the rope and I give Jen this huge hug. You know what that is? That's pressing on. That's pressing on to win that prize. It's the same type of fierce focus, fierce effort, and fierce perseverance that Paul is talking about in this text. Look what he says. Look what he says in verse 13. One thing I do. One thing I do, Paul is writing of his intense focus, his intense effort, and his intense perseverance. One thing I do, not 20 things I do, one thing I do is move forward to run the race, to know Jesus Christ more and more. It's the one thing I do. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, The Outliers, he published it a number of years ago. It's a great book if you haven't checked it out. In his book, The Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell references the 10,000-hour rule. The 10,000-hour rule came from some research that was done in the early 1970s, and Gladwell picks up on it, and he does some more research on the rule. In essence, the 10,000-hour rule is a principle that the more time you put into something, the greater the chance of your achievement. And Gladwell came to the position, along with other research, that it takes 10,000 hours to become accomplished at any given thing. They looked at mathematics, they looked at athletics, they looked at musicians. There's a great illustration about violinists in The Outliers. The amount of time put in determines the outcome. The amount of focus put in determines the outcome. And the principle from the outliers, from the 10,000 hour rule, is disciplined, intense, effort, focus, and perseverance results in great reward. It's exactly what Paul is saying here. The one thing I do. Not the 20 things. The one thing I do, it's this intense focus that results in great reward. And then look at, he gives us further instructions. He shares two things with us. Look again. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. First, what does he say? He says, forget what is behind. In a race, a runner never looks back. If she looks back, she slows down and she loses her stride. A runner never looks back in a race. And I want to suggest three things that I think we should forget. 
Three things that I think we should forget in order to run the race to win the prize of knowing Jesus. The first thing we need to forget is our failures and our sins from the past. Forget your failures and your sins from the past. There is not one of us in this room who has not made a mistake in the past. There is not one of us in this room who has not sinned and offended God. The beauty of following Jesus is believing in Jesus and asking him for the forgiveness of your sins means he forgives your sins. Means they go away. Means you are to forget them to leave them in your past. You may have got lit on Friday night and you are in this place and you are thinking, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm... If you confess that sin to Jesus Christ, he is faithful and he is just to forgive you of that sin. The first thing we need to forget as we run this race to knowing Jesus Christ Yes, ask for forgiveness of your sins, but then live in the forgiveness that Jesus provides you. Forget the failures and the sins of the past. Second, forget the sins that others have committed against you. Did you hear me? Forget the sins that others have committed against you. There are many of you in this room who have experienced great trauma in your past. Terrible things. Bad things. Evil things. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pursue proper counseling and guidance. You should. But the goal of that counseling and that guidance and the desire of Jesus Christ is that you come to a point in your life where you are able to look back and forgive the perpetrator of that sin and that evil on you. Otherwise, you are going to continue to live in the devastation and in the bitterness that that trauma brings. Forget your failures and sins. Forgive the sins of those who have hurt you or sinned against you in the past. And then thirdly, forget your past accomplishments. All of us can look back at something that we have done for God's glory in his purposes, in the desire to honor and please him. Very, very good things. And praise God for those things that you have done for him in your past. But my friend, verse 13, and it's clear, it tells us that we are to forget those things, but not only forget those things, but strive forward to the future, running the race and to run the race appropriately, you have to continue to look forward and not look behind. So strive, press on to run the race that is set before you to win the prize, which is knowing Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to press on? There are so many examples, but I think of Jay and Maureen who were up here earlier. Jay and Maureen are pressing on and yes, they've been called to service in Africa to press on and they are serving Jesus, but more to the core of what they are doing, listen to what I am saying, more to the core of what they are doing is not 
exclusively just serving Jesus. What they are doing is going to help them know Jesus better. And that is the ultimate goal. For Clarence and for Dan, they're planting a church in the city of Grand Rapids. And yes, they are gonna be proclaiming the gospel to people within this city and this state and Lord willing throughout this world. But at the core of what they're doing, they're doing it so they may know Jesus better. And it may not be for you moving to Africa. It may not be for you starting a church, but I promise you God has some call on your life where he is calling you to respond in obedience. And right now in your head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what he is calling and asking you to do. If you want to know him better, do that thing. It will cause you to grow not only in your faith, but in your knowledge and in knowing Jesus better. Walk the road of obedience. Do what he's asked you to do. Maybe it's reading the book of Philippians once a week as we suggested you do. Maybe it's reading the book of Philippians once every day. That'd be crazy. But it may be what God is calling you to do so that you may know Jesus better. Press on, move towards that goal. Third principle, know your enemies. Now I know, do you hear me? Know your enemies. Now I know that most of you are really nice people and you don't think you have any enemies. And then some of you are really, really nice people and you would never want to say that you have any enemies. You have enemies. You have enemies. Look with me, uh, look with me at verse, beginning of verse 17. These are the people that will threaten your ability to run. Verse 17, join together in following my examples. Brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. In verse 17, Paul starts out by telling us that us, the Philippians and all of us, to follow his example. If you want to know Jesus more, Paul says, follow my lead. And we looked at this concept of role models two weeks ago. And I'm not going to go into depth here, but I do want to briefly touch on it again and ask you, who are you following? Who is it that is your role model? Because God has put this system in place recognizing that we need, each need examples in our lives to help us become and be more like Jesus. So who is it that you follow? But here's the flip side. Yes, we must follow faithful Christians, but we should also know our enemies. We need to watch out for our enemies. You see, the enemies of the cross are also our enemies as well. We need to know who stands in our way of winning the prize. Who are the enemies of the cross? Who are our enemies? Well, Paul here is likely referring to people who are outside the church, but he is also probably referring to people who are inside the church as well. So how do you spot them? How do you know who your enemies are? Well, Paul tells us. And I hope that these verses don't describe you. First, 
He says that their God is their stomach. These people are ruled by their appetites. They seek to self-please. They're ruled by self-gratification, gluttony. They eat too much greed, sexual immorality, anger, drunkenness. Their motto is if it feels good, do it. If it's a person who claims to be a Christian, they will likely respond with the phrase, well, Jesus loves me and he's going to forgive me anyway. And they keep on engaging in the sin. Enemy of the cross and your enemy as well. Second, their glory is in their shame. Their glory is in their shame. This means that they actually brag about their sins. Things they should be embarrassed by, things that should should provide shame, they boast about to other people. They brag about being able to drink the most alcohol and being drunk at the party and being able to be the life of that party. They're the person who comments and brags about the affairs they have or the unethical activities that they engage in in business and they think that it is a mark of honor to engage in what are embarrassing activities. These are the people that proclaim loudly the right to abortion and the right to choose. These are people who brag, who boast about things that should be embarrassing. Enemy of the cross and your enemy. Third, their mind is set on earthly things. This means that they just get excited about earthly stuff. Their goals are skewed. They're set about building their kingdom here on earth rather than the kingdom in heaven. They want present satisfaction rather than heavenly joy. Enemy of the cross and your enemy as well. But most important and most terrifying is not their description, it's their destination. Look what the Bible says. Their destiny is destruction. Enemies of the cross may seem like they're having a good time. They may seem like they're on the top of the world. They may seem to have everything that the world has to offer. The world may call them successful and prosperous, But the Bible says that their destiny is destruction. Don't follow them there. In light of all of this, let me say to you this one thing. Every relationship you have is not good for you. Every one of the relationships you have in your life is not good for you. There are some relationships that you should cut off There are some relationships that you should stop. The relationships that you should stop are those relationships that are drawing you away from following Jesus Christ. The relationships that you should cut across, cut off, are those that are keeping you from running the race that Christ has set before you. It may be a friend, it may be a coworker, it may even be somebody in your family in which you need to cut off that relationship because that person in that relationship is drawing you away from Jesus Christ. And you know right now, if you have one of those relationships, which relationship I am talking about. 
I am not talking about cutting off the relationship in which you are sharing the gospel with somebody. I'm not cutting off, talking about cutting off the relationship in which you are telling somebody about Jesus. The key here is recognizing the relationship that is causing you to be pulled away from Jesus. And if that is happening in your life, cut that relationship off and cut it off now. Somebody else will tell them about Jesus. Because God has called you to press on running the race that is set before you to know Jesus Christ better. Know your enemies. Which leads us to our fourth and final principle. It's found in verses 20 and 21. Paul concludes this section by reminding us that we should remember our true citizenship. Followers of Jesus running the race, pressing on towards the prize, seeking to win that prize, should realize that this world is not our home. Look at verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Remember, Philippi is a Roman colony. It's little Rome. When people went to Philippi, they felt like they were in Rome. People said, when I'm in Philippi, I feel like I'm in Rome. So these Christians in Philippi took pride in their Roman citizenship. Remember at the time, Rome is the most prosperous. It is the most successful. It is the most powerful empire in the world. And these Philippian people take pride in the citizenship of Rome, this most powerful, prestigious, wonderful empire. Does that sound familiar? Do you see what Paul is trying to say to you and to me this morning? He is reminding us at the conclusion of this passage, remember, your citizenship is in heaven. See, one of the problems we have as followers of Jesus Christ is we take pride in our citizenship in the United States. Maybe you're here and you're from a different country and you take pride in the citizenship of the country that you are from and that you are part of. And it's not that in and of itself taking pride in the citizen of the United in being a citizen of the United States or any other country is wrong in and of itself. Our problem is is we get our priorities messed up. And all too often, we take our pride in our U.S. citizenship and we make it our main priority. And then we think to ourselves, oh, and by the way, I am a citizen of heaven as well. And that type of thinking starts to direct my thoughts and my actions. Everything I do and everything I say comes out of the fact that I feel that the priority is my pride in my citizenship in the United States. And Paul's reminder here to you and to me is the priority of citizenship is your citizenship in heaven. We are first and foremost citizens of heaven and that is what should drive our thoughts and our actions. You see, what is happening here, what God is doing in his plan is he has made us, he has made Calvary Church a colony of heaven. 
We are a colony of heaven who are called to live our lives, running the race, to know Jesus better, to live our lives for him. And that should be our priority. It's why our vision here at Calvary Church is to be Christ's church in this place. God has placed us in this area, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, at the corner of the Beltline in 96, to be a colony of heaven here, to be a refuge here, to give a different message than the world out there gives, to give a different confidence, a different contentment, and a different hope than the world out there gives, because that message of joy is found only in this colony of heaven and other colonies of heaven, other churches just like it around the world. But my friends, if your priority is as a citizen of the United States, it's going to be blurred for you and it is going to get very confusing. Our priority should be our citizenship in heaven, recognizing that we are a colony of heaven right here in this place. And so we are called to take care of the widow. We are called to take care of the orphan. We are called to take care of the foreigner, to welcome them in. We are called to take care of the disenfranchised. We are called to take care of those who are hurting and in need of love and help and compassion and care. And we do that together as the colony of heaven in this place. Remember, my friends, your citizenship is in heaven. Paul tells us to run the race, to win the prize that is knowing Jesus Christ, forgetting, forgetting what is behind because you recognize that you have not yet arrived, pressing on with one thing, not 20 things, one thing, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Know your enemies, know the people that want to prevent you from winning the race and remember that your citizenship is in heaven. And I know the beautiful thing is, is that we are running that race together. Calvary Church, all of us together are running that race, helping each other run. And as I close, I want to recognize that there are only three reasons you may not be in the race. There are only three reasons you may not be running the race. One is you have not yet started. Two is you've quit running. And three is you have finished. We can eliminate number three, can we not? We all recognize that we have not yet finished. So if you are not running the race, that leaves only two reasons you have not run. It means you have not yet started the race or you have quit running. If you have not started the race, today is the day to start the race. Recognize that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he is the living savior of all the world and he has come to save you personally, that he has come to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do is admit your sins, ask him to forgive you of your sins, believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by his heavenly father and by believing your sins are forgiven and you receive the power of the resurrection that was given to Jesus Christ and he raised you from the dead and brings you to life. Believe today and when you do, you start the race. And secondly, if you quit running, I get it. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it can be a difficult marathon. The encouragement is, is we have people here that can encourage us, that can lift us up, that can help us along the race. So my encouragement is if you have stopped running, reach out. Ask the example in your life. Ask the role model in your life to help you. If you do not have one, find a role model. If you just need somebody to help you, call the church. Ask for me. I would love to encourage you to get back in the race. My friends, everyone has the opportunity to know Jesus Christ and to not only know him, 
but to know him more and more and more. And more Jesus means more joy. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.